0: Wendell Berry, in his essay titled "Caught in the Middle," offers this thought quote: "This is my attempt to make a statement that is reasonably complete, and that in result may be necessarily incomplete. I should add that I may find further reasons that will require me to revise. to have a mind, I think, depends upon one's willingness to change it." Hello there, neighbor. Welcome to Becoming Human, the show where I ramble about concepts that most of the human population doesn't care about. I do this so that we can live better than we currently do, which, come to think about it, might not be what most of the population cares about. Anyways, you, dear listener, you are not like most people, and you have my gratitude. And for your endurance, for your willingness to dive into the depths of the human person so that you can be better today than you were yesterday, for that, you shall be rewarded with an episode that is much more practical. That takes all of these ramblings from the past several episodes and gives us something to do with it. Because remember, this is not just about getting smarter and knowing more things. It's also about doing something with it, living better. So when it comes to your perspective and knowledge and truth, how do we live better? Well, it's all going to come down to one word. But first, we need to learn how we can change our perspective. So let's get into it. Let's learn. Let's grow. And let's become more human. I'd like to invite you to begin by thinking of something that is really important to you, an idea, a concept, a way of life, whatever that may be. What would it take to change your perspective on that thing? And seriously ponder this. What would have to happen for you to think differently about something that you're pretty confident about? Now, if you haven't been able to tell, I think this conversation on perspective is one of those foundational issues that plagues our society, but we never really talk about it. Now, the last several episodes are probably going to help make sense of this, but I get it. They are long, they're a bit boring, so if you only listen to this one, I'm I'm sure that's fine, but there's more of the map waiting to be discovered back there, just, just my suggestion. But after the immense exploration we've been doing over the last several episodes, what is left to say about perspective? A lot, actually, more than I know, in fact. See what I did there? But let's focus on how we work with and grow our perspective and and take a look at whether or not perspectives can change. Because we've talked about changing behaviors, our habits, our physicality, our lifestyles, and, and our culture talks a lot about this kind of change, physical, behavioral change. But can our mental domains change? Well, it is both easier and harder. It's easier because the process can be incredibly quick and simple. Just snap your fingers and you can think differently. It's harder, though, because our perspectives are often ingrained into the very essence of our identity. And changing or losing that often feels like we are losing a part of ourselves. We've got this whole thing we explored back in the map-making episode of the philosophy of desire, intellectual value systems. Our perspective is a means to feel safe and comfortable. This, This is why we defend and argue and compete with our perspectives like ancient tribal wars. Our existence is entrenched in how we think. If we're going to change that, Our existence is on the line. So how should we approach our perspectives if if they're so heavy to who we are? And what about our perspectives should make us consider holding them a little bit more loosely than we tend to? That's where I want to go. But first, I did want to say, for some of you, I just need to say thanks. I'm, I'm honored that I get to spend some time reading and learning and thinking and writing and creating and then sharing the whole process with you. And I, I say it all the time, I hate playing the game of advertising and marketing and all of that. So for all of you who have subscribed and who listen and who share the episodes with folks who also don't fit the tendencies of the majority of the population, I'm grateful. Seriously. And for those of you who contact me and ask questions and continue conversations, that, that is more meaningful and more important than you may realize. let's get started. Why would we want to change our perspective? I want to give four reasons and four ingredients to do so. So let's start with reason number one. The first reason we may want to change our perspective is because our perspectives are incomplete. This is what we've seen during the whole gamut of epistemology consciousness is complicated and and this is the issue of epistemology epistemology being how how we know things and our finite mental capacities okay so rationalism and our dependence on our limited sensory experience you know that is contained to our reality which is empiricism what we saw is that reaching truth and and the nature of existence, which, which is called ontology, it's a really complicated process for sentient beings like you and me. And that brief recap of, I think, it took like, what, four episodes to say that? That brief recap is really the first thing we have to remember when it comes to changing your perspective and, and kind of the problem with your perspective. Your perspective is dependent on experience, which is limited and subjective. So even if you're working with the facts and rationalism and trying to be as unbiased as possible and, and obtaining objective absolutes, there's something in the way. And the thing in the way is you. So you need to allow all of these different modes and methods and approaches to be utilized, you know, like dance partners. And you also need to put yourself in your proper place. Because our perspectives are selective. They reflect our time and space and context and history and place and preferences. And this is what we talked about with subjectivism and phenomenology. We aren't working with all the information. And even our attempts at rationalism will be incomplete. No no one, as, as far as I can conjecture, has the whole map of reality filled out completely. And so what we said after we talked about Plato's analogy for this, just assume you're in the cave. And remember that those with the strongest opinions are those who have thought the least about them. And throughout this, I've used words like uh, myopia, you know, only being able to see what is immediately in front of you. And egocentric, which is, you know, the default human ability to just see the world through your own eyes. And as a result of these, our perspectives simply reveal that we live in very small worlds. What we see is what we know, and what we know is based on what we see. And that is what we've been emphasizing. Our access to knowledge is finite because it's dependent on how we experience and see the world. Whatever we've happened to see and feel and witness and have been handed by those who influence us, that's what we currently know. And the problem with having our perspective Molded just from our personal experience, which which is an inevitable reality. It becomes enmeshed with the concepts of myopia and egocentrism, and the human default becomes to act as if our experience and knowledge is the only perspective possible. It's the whole issue of a fish not knowing they are in water, or not being able to see the forest from the trees. Our perspectives seem so obvious to us, and yet, they are often so assumed that we fail to see them in the broader context of our lives in the world, which means we fail to see how our perspectives are implicating the way we live and interact with that world. Essentially, we fail to see the fragility of our perspective, and as we began discussing, we run into some real-world problems. If all of this is true which hey maybe it's not but if it is why would we want to keep our perspectives where they are in their current incomplete state reason number two that we ought to consider changing our perspective the second reason is because not only is our perspective incomplete it is my opinion that our perspectives get constructed. And yeah, I know, blank slate theory, nature versus nurture, you know, there's no one right answer to this of how we come to think about the world we live in, how we exist within the world. Is it something that you inherited? Uh, Is it something that developed? Do you have complete control over it? Or is it dependent on where you are and who came before you? Great conversation. But even if one takes the idea that you inherit your perspective genetically and culturally, it's still based on people, which means it's still based on their limited perspectives, and it still evolves and morphs as you add to that inheritance. So a perspective, it's not some eternal form, right? Like a slight knock on Plato there. It's, it's not just this, this eternal, long-lasting, absolute thing that you either have or you don't have. The way you think and know and live and move is a bunch of pieces that have been composed together into a current moment. And here's the problem. If your perspective is the dominant factor that dictates how you see things and therefore how you live, do we want to spend more time defending our constructed mishmash of reality? Or do we want to continue to piece together and mess with and wrestle with where we are and see where else we can go? especially if the construct is incomplete, we could keep constructing. So your perspective, it doesn't even have all the pieces and it is the happenstance of what you've received and what you've happened to experience. It's not the whole thing and it's not the fullness of what everything should be. Your perspective, it's been made. It didn't drop out of the sky. But what we we tend to do as our perspective gets constructed, it becomes the the dominant factor that dictates how we understand the world. And we begin participating in something called confirmation bias. We seek to defend, ingrain, justify whatever our constructed perspective is. And we do this until we begin to assume that our perspective is the absolute truth. Now this doesn't mean that your perspective is wrong. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's incomplete and it's composed of various materials that you just happen to have access to. So it, it just, it isn't the whole thing. So we might want to consider changing our perspective because what you have probably isn't the best. And that's not a critique, it's an invitation. It's like a child who built something. That's cool, awesome, but don't stop there. Remember, the pursuit toward truth and fullness is a process. Movement is simply an indicator that you are alive. And so the second reason we might want to change our perspectives is because whatever our current constructed perspective is, the process can keep being built. The third reason why we might want to consider changing our perspective and holding it loosely is because what happens when we do stop there and the construction ceases with an incomplete construct of a perspective. The, the natural inclination for us when we don't see our perspective for what it is, is to assume that we are right. Perspectives have this tendency to crystallize, you know, they're they're like concrete, whatever you've been building up to a certain point, if you let it sit long enough, it's going to be harder and harder to change. And this is natural for the same reasons that we hate change. Change disrupts us, change is a loss, change is difficult. But even further with our perspectives, we stake our identity in how we perceive the world. So the child that builds the thing who then needs that thing to be, you know, confirmed because that is what is going to help them make sense of the world and have some semblance of certainty and feel safe in a very unsafe world, what happens with us is we get our incomplete construct, but then we dig in. And it might not be because we genuinely think, you know, it's the fullness of all wisdom. We might do this simply because our safety and security and affirmation depends on it. As a result, we go to great lengths to make sure we are right. And as a result, we have a general culture where it is more common to defend and argue, and if, if we want to use conflict resolution language, compete, because we have to compete in order for our existence to continue because it feels like it's on the line. When really, really all we need to do is instead of treating our perspectives like concrete, to treat it like water. And if water does not move, it becomes stagnant, and then it stinks. Does your perspective smell bad? We will know based on how hard you hold on to it. So that's reason number three, we might want to change our perspectives because not doing so, not going through this process, Makes it stagnant, and then we start competing and we don't learn more, and no one wants to hang out with you. Not a good combination. Reason number four, and this one's not something that always happens, but it's a danger that could occur. The fourth reason we should consider changing our perspective is because. If it is naturally incomplete, because, you know, you're human, and if it is simply a construct instead of, you know, some captured ideal form that you have somehow found that no one else in history has, and if there is a possibility that we might seek to entrench that construct into concrete so that we can, you know, avoid the discomfort of moving and growing and reconsidering, what do we do if our perspective is not only incomplete, but wrong? What if our perspective is harmful or destructive or even evil? And I'm not saying that just because a perspective is incomplete or constructed or just because you haven't considered changing it that you are evil. But if we stake our identity on being right, then we may do irreparable harm all because we weren't interested in asking questions and seeing more and continuing to develop. Like what happens when you develop policy or norms or simply make consequential decisions based on information that you only have some of? We may end up moving through the world not only in a way that is stagnant, but also in a way that can be problematic. So let me just give you an example of this. Think of these four reasons this way, okay? Let's pretend you have been told that people with blue eyes are inferior. And then maybe you experience a blue-eyed folk, and they certainly seem you know, less capable, a bit irrational. And then maybe you found some hard evidence you know, that confirmed the point, something empirical. And then you work some mental logic and concluded that, yes, you know, blue, blue-eyed people are not as predisposed to living well as non-blue-eyed people which is a great example of superstition, by the way, making false correlations in order to confirm a bias with selective information. And I keep bringing this up because technically we are very superstitious. We constantly uh, conclude something without all of the information and then make some sort of claim based on it. Now, if this is how you've come to see the world and blue-eyed people, that's going to define how you live in the world. And, and listen, this is a hypothetical example. However, it has been used as a case study before. But we could do this with any notion of your perspective to see, you know, how does this shape how I view things? Because your perspective is going to inherently affect the lens by which you navigate life and determine what you do. Philosophy and ethics, Remember? And even if it's very logical and accurate perspective, it still determines the nature of living. And that's the potential process that we can find ourselves in with an incomplete perspective that's a result of something that is constructed that also we try to entrench. And it can lead to us creating a world that isn't good, often simply because we're afraid of being wrong. And we're afraid that how we see the world is actually incomplete. But you don't have to look very far to see examples of this. Slavery was vastly defended. You can still read letters and essays by people during that time, you know, think 17th, 18th century, who were saying actually um, holding these slaves is the moral thing to do. And they made arguments for it. They never thought they were wrong they never thought they were incomplete they never wondered at what if i'm not working with all the information it became entrenched and the world that resulted was based on what they thought or think about this as a less serious example but like flat earth society and listen if you're a flat earther love to hear what you you think but i i've read through the arguments And uh, listen, I don't know much about physics. I I can't really navigate that world well. But in looking at the rhetoric of the arguments being made, it's very obvious to me that you're participating in something called confirmation bias. You're finding empiricism, rationalism, logos, ethos, pathos. You're finding evidence as a way to allow the way you currently see things to continue to be true for you. And this is why people get online and they debate the folks and troll them and do all of that because it has less to do with what is right and what is wrong. And it has more to do with the issues of perspective, that they're incomplete, that they're constructed, that they're the result of this process. And we tend to stop and entrench the perspective without all the information. The invitation here should be to hold our perspectives, but to hold them loosely Right? You don't have to change your perspective, but we might want to be willing to. And whether it's you know racism or slavery or gender inequality, do do you see why something that today we would look at with a certain collective agreement as wrong was at one time passionately defended as correct? Or just look at social media posts. Rarely do we see the comment, Hey, I don't think you should, you know, fill in the blank, but maybe I'm missing something here. Or even, my perspective on this issue is such and such, but I'm interested in what you're saying. Or, uh, another potential comment would be, I see you're working with these particular epistemological assumptions. Your emphasis on logos there was really keen, but I did notice you seemed to confuse you know, ethos as pathos there. Interestingly, my epistemological assumptions are this. I wonder what would happen if we combined these approaches. That, that, uh, that would be a weird comment, I suppose. Don't do that. Uh, pe- people will be concerned about some potential mental uh, instability. But seriously, we don't do anything like this. Rather, we get an ill-informed opinion or a noble attempt at pure objective rationalism, but it's still plagued by sentient limitation, as if it is the singular answer. And we just can't believe that someone would oppose our objective truth. Not not the objective truth, because my epistemological assumption here is that you don't yet have that. And listen, you may be pretty close, likely closer right. than me. But let's all slow down a bit. If we assume what we think is the obvious, rational, and objective method of truth, we ignore that it might just be one perspective among many, or that it might be a less full version of perspective approaching truth. And the only social dialogue we are left with is that we know we are right, we don't need any further information, and those who disagree with us are the ones who need the help. And if they don't get on board with us, well, They're simply dismissed. You know, our insular tribes continue to gather and build the base, gloriously languishing in our incomplete information. To which I look at America in 2020 and 2021 and say, how's that working for you? But it isn't new to history. This approach, this experience, it's everywhere. The confirmation bias happens on large global scales, And it happens as individuals all the time. It's why we spend more time looking up reasons to prove our point rather than just exploring the information in general. People just don't naturally assume they are wrong, nor do they consider that their version of the map is unfinished. Because we have one set of eyes and one functioning mind that gives our heads an incomplete picture of the world through our limited access to certain colors and paintbrushes, But as long as our picture works, there's no need to expand the palette. And we may even begin to assume that certain colors, because they aren't in our range, must be wrong. Now, next time, we'll get into a different approach to all of this. But now we just need to ask, can you change your mind? Can your perspective change? And if you listen to the Guide on Changing Things episodes, You know what my theory on this is. They're going to change anyways. Even concrete changes. But if it is incomplete and constructed, your perspective is not only capable of changing, it might be best to encourage it to do so. The real question is how will that happen? What are the ingredients to changing how we see, think about, and understand the world? And so think back to that question, what would it take to change your perspective on something? What would have to happen? And this isn't some sort of, uh, you know, quantitative or qualitative research study, but there are four ingredients that tend to be present when someone does change their perspective on something. And so there might be more. In fact, there probably is many more, but these are the four that I've seen the most. And as you think about your state and presence in the world, these can be helpful ways to catalyze this process so that we don't fall victim to the common approach to our perspectives. So first, you have to hear things multiple times. The thing that we can actively do here is constantly expose ourselves to multiple angles, viewpoints, arguments, and perspectives. The other important part of this is is not only having it be multiple times uh, with multiple angles, but have it be consistent. And and what happens is finally one might click. But if you only ever constantly filter things through your current lens, then you're not actually going to consider that there's other options on the table. But the more you add to the construct, the more it takes on new character. And, and this can happen you know, without us even considering it. Consider someone who uh, just happens to hear various voices all the time and, and is researching all sorts of different things. Eventually, their perspective is going to grow. It's, it's going to have these pieces added. And finally, they're, you know, they could have heard the same thing a hundred different times, but finally, one might cause them to go, oh yeah, I see that differently now. And and so how can you expose yourselves to a multiplicity of information and to consistently hear things that reside outside of yourself? A second way to do this is to change your circumstances. So one way to be exposed to something different is to have the circumstances that held your current perspective to no longer be there or, or just to no longer be the same. And you know one of the most common ways this happens? And this is one of the most common ways that causes people to change anything, perspective, but also behavior or or, or physical setting. It's also one of the most common ways to bring about creativity because it changes our circumstances. And it's suffering. When we suffer, it forces us to see things different than how we saw them before, because the very nature of suffering is our current familiarity was taken away from us. Maybe it would be a good idea to consider moving around our familiarity while we are in control of it instead of waiting until it happens to us. Any new setting that you can experience, be a part of interact with and see will begin constructing and filling out your perspective more. But we always fight to stay on the known, charted territory. It usually takes a very active practice to go into the uncharted. Unless, of course, suffering forces its way into doing it for you. Now, changing directions a little bit, the third ingredient is authority. How often have you talked to somebody who did change their perspective and they'll articulate that the reason why is because they met someone who embodied an alternative to their current perspective and it changed them. And and I've heard people go like, that shouldn't be a reason to think differently. Just because you uh, experience something, feel something uh, it, it shouldn't change how you think about things. and this is a, this is an argument about empiricism versus rationalism, logic versus experience. Um, and, and I think it's it's helpful to consider that our experience shouldn't be the only thing that determines what we think. But it is interesting how a relationship with trust can give someone authority to force you to see things differently. As human beings, we value the connection. And if potential connection can result, even if it means changing how we see and think, we're sometimes willing to do that. But this is also, the the relational experience is a way to create multiplicity and to change our circumstances, which allows us to change our perspective. But the other part of this, this ingredient of authority is not only that we give authority to the experience of other people, um, again, called epistemological privilege. We've talked about that before. But sometimes one of the modes of persuasion that we talked about last time or two episodes ago actually gives us permission to consider changing our minds. And that's ethos or credibility, And so if somebody that we've placed trust in articulate something different, we are more likely to consider that from then than someone that we, you know, kind of consider an antagonist. And if you're one of those who's listening to this because you're trying to figure out how you can change someone else's perspective, it's important to realize that you're probably not going to do that unless you've established relational trust. And some sort of authority with that person. And I'm I'm not talking about like tyrannical authority. But do they give you permission to speak into their life? You're not going to break someone of something that is entrenched for their survival just because you sound smart. It has to come from a place that is credible. Now the last ingredient is kind of similar. And it's based on this idea of credibility and ethos, and it's that people tend to change their perspectives when using familiar sources. the The most obvious one that that I've seen is uh, with the Bible. Okay, so uh, you take a, a group of um, religious Christians, and you're trying to uh, get them to see something differently. Well, you can offer all sorts of different arguments. But again, if they don't find credibility in in, in those sources, it's not going to actually change anything. It has to be from something that they already determined is credible. And what I've seen happen is someone will use the Bible to go, see, this is something that should be considered. And the group of people is able to stay in territory that is somewhat familiar while still moving and growing and seeing things differently. And that's the same with any group or ideology or person. You have to use sources that allow them to stay in somewhat comfortable spaces while still moving forward. And this is based on a a theory of learning that there's different kinds of zones to learning. There's a safe zone, there's a dangerous zone, and, and then there is a more compelling zone. And if you really want people to learn, or if you yourself are trying to learn and grow, You have to create a space uh, and, and a process with content that is somewhat familiar so it still feels safe while not being too safe that it's all the same and you can stay right where you are, but also you have to push yourself into a little bit of uncharted territory, but not so much though that it is threatening to you. When you find that middle zone, you are much more likely to change. So that's how we might consider changing and growing our perspectives. But more importantly, I hope we see why that might be really important, why you might want to really consider it. Now, this brings us to the word that I've been waiting to introduce you to for a while now. And so next time we are going to talk about the A word that you don't want to be called. But for now, may you embrace your finitude and see the vast possibility of the beautiful world waiting to be discovered as a result. We'll see you next time.